Amen. Revelation chapter 7, probably my favorite chapter in the book of Revelation as we see the event that everyone who studies Revelation studies to find. And that's the moment that all the saved are brought into heaven and we see that multitude which no man can number uh, showing up in heaven at the same time that it shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the same events in order that we see the Lord Jesus Christ describing it. And of course, we don't believe there's any, anything accidental or coincidental in the Word of God. Amen. We believe this book is true and right, that every word of God is pure and that God has given us these words for us to build our faith in. But understanding where we are in the narrative, we're in chapter number 7. And remember last week, we won't do it again this week, but we had all those, uh, the kids come up and they held the paper and it said seal number 1, seal number 2, seal number 3. See, And then we, those seals, the Antichrist and war and famine and death, seal 5 was persecution, seal 6 was an earthquake, and that's where chapter 6 ended, was with seal number 6 and this great earthquake. And so... That leaves the reader to naturally think what's supposed to happen next. Seal number seven, right? Because it went one, two, three, four, five, six. The chapter ends. Well, chapter seven, we still got the seventh seal to open, but there's an intermission that takes place. There's, a, there's a, 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 an interruption that happens because look at chapter seven, verse number one. Immediately after these things, what are the these things? The six seals being opened. So one, two, three, four, five, six, immediately after these things. So we're still in the same narrative. We're not stepping out and, oh, and by the way, this happens. No, it's in the same narrative of the six seals being opened. I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So here's the narrative. One, two, three, four, five, six. Pause. Wait. Don't do it. Because we know as we jump ahead to chapter 8, what is the seventh seal? The seven trumpets of God are issued out, and it's the wrath of God. And that is where it's going to actually hurt the earth. That's where you see one-third of this, and one-third of that, and one-third of the water, and one-third of the trees, and sky beat. I mean, this is the judgment of God, and thank God the saved are not appointed unto His wrath. Thank God for that. But if there was no interruption, the natural sequence would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But we see an interruption. Wait! Not yet! And chapter 7 is interrupting the sequence of seals that are being opened. And we see something interesting happening in chapter number 7. And if, if anybody just wants to just kind of, you know, you've already, if you've been along for the ride for chapters 1 through 6, you can already see something happening. Because understand uh, there are people who will say the rapture happened in chapter number four but as we studied chapter number four we didn't see a multitude no man could number show up in heaven we didn't see the sky open up we didn't hear the trump of god sound we don't see jesus stepping out on a cloud and calling you don't see any of those things that we sing about and know about that is a rapture all you see is one man being caught up in a spirit when he heard something that sounded like a trumpet so where's all these people so as you're reading the narrative 
there's no rapture. And so if we didn't have chapter 7, you would actually be able to argue that the saved are going to go through the wrath of God. But chapter 7 is very crucial to understanding, wait, don't hurt the earth yet. Something has to happen first. And that makes sense as we understand that we've been promised we will not see the wrath of God if you're saved. Now, notice as we see these angels, there's four angels that issue out and they're standing on the four corners of the earth. Now, it's silly that you even have to address this, but people will say, four corners. Oh, so it must be a flat earth or maybe it's a square earth because there's corners. And what does it mean by corners? Corner doesn't mean a corner on a square or a rectangle, okay? That's not what it means when the Bible talks about corners. There's several places that you could turn to. I just wrote a couple of them down. Uh, I'll read them to you. You don't have to turn there unless you need this to help someone on the job site or to start a YouTube channel to prove that corners in the Bible doesn't mean it's a flat earth, okay? But Jeremiah 9.25 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised and with the uncircumcised, Egypt and Jews. Judah and Edom, and the children of Ammon and Moab, and all that are in the uttermost corners that dwell in the wilderness, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. So he says, I'm going to punish all those, in the, even those in the corners of the wilderness. Does that mean he's going to find two trees that grew up together, and there's a person standing in a corner in the wilderness? That's not what it means. In fact, I even just looked up the word corner in the dictionary just the English dictionary, and the fifth definition, obviously the first corner, you know, corner, the first definitions are what we would think, but here's the fifth definition of corner. Indefinitely, any part, and the example would be, they searched every corner of the forest, they explore, explored all corners of the country. So it makes sense when you have four angels, and they're going to go to the four corners. I mean, in other words, everywhere. There's nowhere they're not going. You can hide. You, maybe you've heard of the deepest, darkest corners of Africa. Wow, Africa has a lot of corners. What does that mean? Let's look at the map the way it's shaped. Maybe there are a lot of corners. You know, wow. That's not what it's talking about, right? And so we understand that. There's four angels. But there's interesting part, because when you start to understand Bible prophecy, you're going to start to connect dots. And you're going to start to see things like four angels, the four corners, gathering the people. And you start to think, I've read that somewhere. See, God uses the same language for us to do our own research. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that's why when God says something, he'll later on say it the same way or a different way to help clarify some things that he had said. But turn, if you will, keep your spot there, but turn to Matthew chapter 24. And when, you, when I think of four corners, I think north, south, east, west. I think every direction, everywhere, these four angels. But notice now, if we're following the narrative, if there actually is a timeline in Revelation, then what we're reading about these four angels that are going to go do something to the four corners of the earth, well, it should line up in the same time frame that we see four angels showing up when Jesus shares the narrative in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, immediately before the tribulation... Is that what your Bible says? Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall from heaven, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. What was seal number six? An earthquake. Okay? 
And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man. Here's everything we've ever taught. Coming in the clouds of heaven. Isn't that what a rapture is? He steps out on a cloud. Here he, well, this is what we're reading about. With great glory, verse 31, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Doesn't that sound like Revelation chapter 7 when you have four angels holding the four winds of the earth, getting ready to judge the world, and they're interrupted? Wait, something has to happen. There has to be a rapture. Doesn't that fit? I mean, there's, there's no coincidence in the Bible. You start to read those four angels, and you'll start to see them show up in other places as well. Those four angels are part here. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 7, and we see this interruption where there's a natural sequence. We're still in sequence because it's after these things, there was this, and then you'll, you'll, you'll be made aware of that in chapter 8 when now that this happened, now chapter, uh, the seventh seal opens, and we see these things happening. So we're in sequence but there's a cry. Look at verse number two. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our, of our God in their foreheads. So as we're reading this, remember, we've seen the seals. We've seen what's happening. That is not the wrath of God. And in fact, we know the tribulation has ended at this point because immediately after the tribulation is when they see the Son of Man. That's when the four angels are issued out. So we know that in the timeline, the tribulation is over. What the Bible calls the tribulation is over. The seven years are not over. The tribulation part is over. And that'll be made aware or even clearer when the multitude that no man can number shows up and he's like, where'd they come from? And he said, they came out of great tribulation. So it's over. The tribulation part of that seven years is over because we see that it's immediately after the tribulation that the Lord Jesus shows up, the four angels are issued out, there's the interruption, we see a rapture, and then we see the judgment. And so from then on out, it's not called tribulation. From then on out, it's the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. That, that, little, that little bit of information will help you understand some things when you're trying to explain Bible prophecy because most people, when they think of tribulation, they think of seven-year tribulation. Just, you know, that's not in the Bible anywhere. Just like repent of your sins. There's things that we have in our lingo that we just say like they're there. It's not there. And so the Bible talks about tribulation, but when does the tribulation end? When the sun is darkened, when the earth is shaken, when the stars begin to fall, and when the sky opens up. When does that happen? Well, that happens after the sixth seal, before the seventh seal, and that's when the four angels are, are sending there. So as you study your Bible, and this, you'll see light bulbs kind of come on, and you'll, get, you'll become more and more confident in the timeline as you see places like Amos and Joel and minor prophets speaking to things, and you'll be able to put it right where it belongs because you can see a biblical timeline rather than the 15-page chart that you have to have in your office and refer to every time you're trying to figure out what's going on in eschatology. So we see this cry not to hurt the earth, so that indicates they haven't hurt the earth yet. This is not God's judgment. And so there's a big difference between the wrath of man and the wrath of God, the tribulation and the seven trumpets that issue the wrath of God. Now, 
they're, they're halting things. They're saying, wait, we got to seal some people. Well, then before the rapture, we see 144,000 people being sealed. And there's a lot of confusion about who the 144,000 are and what they're supposed to do and why they're there. And we have entire religions like Jehovah Witnesses fighting over who gets to be the 144,000. Well, let's just let the word of God tell us who they are. So verse number four. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were, they were sealed and hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So understanding just the timeline, one, two, three, four, five, six, wait, don't open seven yet. Why? We have to seal some people. Something has to happen. They're now sealing 144,000, and it's specific 144,000. It's specific that they're from the tribes of Israel. Then we're going to see a multitude no man can number, and then the seventh seal opens. So we're talking about this group after the sixth seal, before the seventh. There's 144,000 people that are all of a sudden the, the focus of this prophecy. What is going on? Who are these 144,000? Well, turn, if you will, to Revelation chapter 14, and it talks about them a little further. And if you understand your Bible, Revelation chapter 14 is a parallel passage to Revelation chapter 7 you'll see the same events in the same order as in chapter 7, as in chapter 14. And in the same place where we read about the 144,000 in chapter 7, we read about them in chapter 14. Same place, same timeline. Revelation 14, 1, And I looked, and behold, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's names written where? So remember... Wait, we have to seal them. They're going to seal them in their foreheads. And so Jesus steps out on the mount with the 144,000. They're with him. Do you notice that? Okay, this is important as we're trying to figure out who they are. They're not on the earth. They're with him. They're with Jesus stepping out on the Mount Zion, the heavenly Mount Zion, and they're with Jesus, and they've already been sealed now. We're, we, the angel's like, wait, you got to seal them. Well, here they're in this narrative. They're sealed, and they're standing with Jesus. Verse number 2. And I heard a voice from heaven, as it were the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of, of uh, harpers harping with their harps, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand, notice where they came from, which were redeemed where? From the earth. So they came from the earth. They're on Mount Zion with Jesus. He's been, the, 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 the prophecy's been halted. Wait! Here they are, and there's 144,000 with their foreheads. In their forehead is sealed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were redeemed from the earth. Verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So it's an interesting group of people. There's several, there's several uh, different explanations as to who they are and what they represent. And the, the explanations are completely wild. They'll be like, you know, that's where the Jehovah's Witnesses come in. In fact, like, I, I looked up what they actually believe. And the Jehovah's Witnesses 
today don't consider themselves part of the 144,000 because there's too many to be part of the 144,000. But prior to 1935, their teaching was this. All true Christians who are true and just, that are genuine, will be called part of that 144,000. After 1935, the chances of you be part of that 144,000 are not non-existent. And so that's why when you ask a Jehovah Witness, will you live forever in heaven or will you go to hell? They're like, oh, we're not going to live in heaven. We're going to live forever here on the earth. Well, why won't you live in heaven? Because that's where the 144,000 are. And we're not good enough to be called the 144,000. Well, there's multiple problems with that. They don't understand who the 144,000 are. Let's just let the Bible say who they are. They're male virgins. That alleviates all of the rest of them. That's not them. They're male virgins. Why does he tell us that? Well, that's figuratively. What? What does that mean? And not only that, but there's 12,000 from every tribe. Are you of the tribe of Dan? Well, too bad. You're not in there. Are you of the tribe of, you know, are you a Jew? See, there, there's, there's problems when you try to take something God is saying and you don't like what it says, so you try to condition it to make it something different. People have often said, oh, well, the 144,000, they're like the 24 elders. Their number doesn't really mean anything. It's just all of us. Well, I don't think that there's an accident that every time they're referred to, they're referred to as a number. 144,000. And then in this passage back in our text, great care is made to make sure we know that it's 144,000 because if you do the math, 12,000 times 12 is 144,000. And it not only just says that, but it's just like the creation count. The evening and morning were the first day. Evening and the morning were the second day. Evening and the morning were the third day. If God would have just said and so on and so forth, you would have said, oh, fifth day he didn't say that. That's where the billions of years happened. There were no billions of years. He said it was evening and morning, day one. Evening and morning, day two. Why does he take great care to go through those explanations if they're all figurative? So he goes through great care to tell you they're male, they're virgin, they've not defiled themselves, and they're from every tribe, and here's 12,000 from this tribe, and 12,000 from this tribe, and 12,000 from this tribe, and 12,000, and if he'd have just said and so forth, we'd have said, aha, it's figurative. We don't know the rest. 12,000 from every tribe, there's 144,000. So we understand, according to the scriptures, I believe, based on the definition, it's a literal 144,000, and there are literally 12,000 from every tribe, and we see the great effort made to make sure that we know those things. Now, noticing those tribes, look at Revelation chapter 7, verse number 5. Here's where those tribes are given. And just, you know, understand that verses 5 through 8 could just be ripped out of your Bible if you believe it's all figurative. What in the world do these verses mean? Why is God explaining where he gets this number from if 12,000 doesn't mean 12,000 and 12 tribes doesn't mean 12 tribes and 144,000 doesn't mean 144,000? I think there's specific, uh, the, the, the specifics are for a reason. And so notice as he begins to explain this number of 144,000. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 
12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nethalem were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Anybody want to know what the sum of those numbers are? 144,000. So understanding, just based on the text, don't let any outside in, uh, 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 explanations or charts come in. Just the text we're reading. Seal one, two, three, four, five, six. Wait, we have to do something. Here comes 144,000. They're sealed, and there's 12,000 from every tribe. They're in heaven. They were redeemed from the earth. They're with Christ in heaven. This has to happen before the wrath can happen. And then after that, we're going to see a multitude show up and know that no man can number. But we're, who's this 144,000? Well, we see where they are. They're in heaven with Jesus. Where they came from, they came from the earth, physically from the tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each one. But there's some interesting things here. The tribe of Dan is not mentioned. So remember, if you could go back to the 12 sons and you go through their names, the 12 sons of Jacob or of Israel, you find that one of them's missing. Dan is missing. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but that only goes to underscore the Zionist view that the Jews are just blanketly blessed no matter how they act or what they do because their DNA. Well, you have Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And Galatians makes very good, uh, uh, very clear that not all the seed of Abraham was blessed. Isaac was. Well, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And out of Jacob and Esau, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Now you have 12 tribes and one of them's removed permanently that they're not even listed in the future because of the idolatry that they set up back in the, in the book of Judges. God removed them completely. And if you remember, you say, well, how do we have 12? Well, Joseph was given a double portion. Remember when we were going through the book of uh, Joshua? He was given a double portion. And Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And we see that, the, the, that uh, Ephraim or Joseph is often referred to interchangeably. But there we have the 12 tribes because the double portion given to, jo- uh, to Joseph was split between his two sons. And there's your 12 tribes. So it kind of it goes in the face. If, if you're automatically in just because of your birth, we already have a bad record. The first two generations, 50% of them didn't make it. And then you have an entire tribe that doesn't even get mentioned because of the idolatry that they had. So that's just the kind of, by the way, when you're studying through the book of Revelation... It's interesting who's there. But these are people from previous times. They were redeemed from the earth, and they're now, they're now brought before the Lord. Now, what we'll see is, turn, if you will, to Revelation chapter number 9. Jump ahead if you can. And I want you to notice that in this timeline that's taking place, the 144,000 show up with the Lord, but then it's like they're not mentioned anymore, or very, very, not very much is mentioned about them. What happens to them? Where are they going? What do they do? Well, I believe as we see through Scripture, we'll, we'll get ahead. They'll be referred to again. They're here on this earth, sealed, protected from the wrath that's coming, and they're being witnesses unto God. So you have 144,000 missionaries that God sends forth that 
were once redeemed from this world. They are from the tribe, 12,000 of every tribe. The Bible calls them the first fruits. I would call it, you know, the tithe of that, of that tribe. The first 12,000 male virgins that received Christ as their Savior were part of this group that's going to go back as a, as a special op seal group, if you will, going to go down in tribulation times and be a witness, but they're going to have a seal on their forehead that, that will keep them from the wrath of God that's being poured out. Because in chapter 9, we're during the wrath of God, and notice what it says about those 144,000. Verse number nine, uh, verse number one, chapter nine. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from uh, fall from heaven under the earth, and unto him was given a key, the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not what? The seal of God where? In their forehead. So this is the wrath side of God. This is clear. This is not just like man's getting mad and chasing man. This is the pit, bottomless pit opening up and creatures coming out and inflicting harm on people. This is clearly the wrath of God. And the Bible says when these creatures come out, it's like, hey, don't hurt the earth. Not because God loves the earth, but that's not their mission. Your mission is to inflict pain on those who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And the order is given, but don't touch those who have the seal of God in their forehead. Who are those? The 144,000. So you still see them during the wrath of God being protected by God because they're a witness during this time to the world. And that just shows you that no matter how dark it gets, God always has a witness. He always does. And these 144,000 are sent to the earth as we see the next thing happening, the saved are being brought out. So there's a swap. We see we're to be the light of the world, are we not? We're to preach the gospel to every creature, are we not? Well, when he removes us, there's no preacher anymore. Oh, yes, there is. There's 144,000 that are going to be sent in our place with the seal of God in their forehead that God has hand-selected, 12,000 from every tribe, that it meets the criteria. They're ready to go. They've got a seal. Nothing can happen to them. God is protecting them, and they're preaching the gospel during this time of wrath. Makes sense. Trying to put... So, so, I mean, I wonder if the Jehovah Witnesses, of course, they don't believe the Bible to begin with, but I wonder if they're like, if I'm part of the 144,000, I'm coming back during the wrath of God. I don't think that's what they think, is it? They think they're going to just be sitting at the throne eating grapes that the angels drop in their mouth. Oh, this is chocolate bonbons. No, the 144,000 is a special co-op soul winning team that God is going to send here on the earth uh, to preach the gospel during very dark times. And it's interesting that they're being sent the same time we're being extracted. That makes sense. Now, let's continue on as we see this narrative. Uh, verse number 9, it switches from the 144,000 back to heaven. So we're still between the two seals. Seventh seal has not yet been opened, but here's 144,000 that are sent and sealed. And verse number 9 says, after this. Are you there in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9? So... Do you think we're still in a narrative? We are. After this. So what? Sixth seal has opened. Seventh seal was said, whoa, wait. 144,000 are sent. 
and after this, something happens, okay? So we're still in the same, he's not just, oh yeah, and by the way, this happened. Oh, and let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before that, this is supposed to happen. We see a very precise timeline taking place that God is setting the narrative saying this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. So after this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb. And the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Wow. How do you not get excited about that? Now, here's, here's what I find interesting. If we believe, if you believe in a pre-trib rapture, that it's going to happen before any of those seals take place, let's just set the narrative, okay? This is, what, this is where this chapter is what threw the monkey wrench in for me. If before all these seals happen, there is a rapture right here, that means, according to the rapture, do not all the dead in Christ rise? Yes. That means all the Old Testament saints, are gonna, their graves are going to open up. All of mankind since the beginning of Adam, those graves are opening up. Imagine that. This is magnitude. Then we which are alive and remain are caught up together with him. So all the dead in Christ are resurrected. All those that are saved here on the earth are resurrected. How about those under the age of accountability? I mean, what happens to them? Are they, are they raptured? You know, that's a good question. Are they raptured? Well, then that, that, that leaves the question, who is left? Now, you could maybe get your math book out or calculator or Google and say, how many Christians are on the earth today? And they could give you a number. You know, so and such million people profess to be Christians. Now, how many of you realize that number is not actual Christians? Those are, th those are ones thinking they're working their way to heaven or thinking that whatever. But that number is still there. Now imagine all those that are saved are taken out at this moment. And then you read about all these things. How, just three and a half years later, do you get a multitude no man can number in heaven? Raptured. How do you get that? There won't, I mean, that, that doesn't, and here's the problem, I, the problem I have with that. This rapture that is huge doesn't even mention an account of people. It's just, I looked into heaven, I heard it was a voice, and I showed up in the Spirit. That describes this rapture. The rapture that should be the insignificant rapture, where you have just those that get saved in the three and a half years' time, because there's not going to be very many people left, they get an entire chapter describing the magnitude of the rapture. I see a problem with that. And everything we're told about the rapture, clouds, trumpet, Jesus showing up, sky opening up like a scroll, happens in this narrative. None of that happens in the narrative over here. You start to think, maybe there's not a rapture here. Then if you, if you think about there's no pre-trib rapture, it happens when the Bible says it happens. Now a multitude no man can number. Think back all the way to Adam all the dead in Christ, that their graves are going to open up, their bodies reunited in heaven. Then the, those we which are alive and remain are caught up. To, that is a multitude no man can number. That's a huge multitude no man can number. 
And all of them are wearing white robes because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So if you, can, if, if you keep the narrative the way God, the Bible describes it, it makes sense that this is the rapture that's being talked about based on the magnitude of what is taking place. Now, let's just let the Bible tell us who these people are. Okay? He says they, they're singing blessing and glory and honor. But go back, if you will, to Genesis. We're in the last book. Go to the first book. Genesis chapter 22. I want to show you that what we're reading in chapter 7 is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. Do you remember the promise made to Abraham? That in him all nations of the earth would be blessed and that his seed would be innumerable. That you would not, if you could count the sands of the sea, you would be able to count the seed of Abraham. If you could count the stars of heaven, you'll be able to count the seed of Abraham. You know what he's telling you? It's without number. Well, isn't it interesting when this group of people show up in heaven, it's a group without number who have been blessed with Abraham. They're part of the promise made. And then I want to to make those connections, okay? Genesis 22, verse 17. He says that in blessing, God talking to Abraham, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed. Notice how. As the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now, where does this happen? Where's the fulfillment of this prophecy? Let me tell you where it is. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. When we see this, or Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14. And we see these things taking place. What does God describe it as? Every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. What's happening? They're being raptured. What's the number of them? A multitude no man could number. Who are they? Those that have been saved, that are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Well, how do we get blessed with faithful Abraham? You get saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb. You're part of that number that no man can number. Genesis 32, 12, he says, And thou sayest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So there's one group of people all through the Old Testament that keeps being told, you won't be able to number the group. You won't be able to number the multitude. It'll be like the sand of the sea. It'll be like the stars of of, of heaven. You can't number this group. Well, then in heaven, a group shows up that you can't number. Oh, well, you know, that's... It can't be that because it says every tribe, kindred, tongue, and people. And we know that the number that God's talking about are Jews, spiritual Jews, those that are of faith, not of the DNA. Now, turn to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 11. Once you, once you begin to let Scripture narrate the, the layout, you're, a lot of questions begin to answer. And I understand first time through, maybe more questions are, are asked than answered. But what you'll find is as you read through again and again, you're going to see like things clicking, dots connecting. Versus before, it was very confusing. You didn't understand it. But once you see the timeline that Scripture gives, it all begins to make sense. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one of him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, 
not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were pilgrims and strangers on earth. All of these people died never having received that promise. You know when they get it? Revelation chapter 7, when the rapture happens, and here's this multitude, no man can number, an innumerable amount of people. Wow, this is what he was talking about. That is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. Now, the good news is, that's us. Look to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Hebrews 11 says this innumerable amount of seed of Abraham all died, never having received that promise. But this innumerable amount of people will show up in Revelation chapter 7, receiving that promise. Now, verse number, Galatians chapter 3, verse number 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of who? Those that are of the DNA of the Jewish descent are the children of Abraham. Is that what it says? No. Those who are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify who? The heathen. How? Through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so that they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Doesn't that make sense to you? God said when he made the promise to Abraham, he knew that all nations of the world would hear the good news, would receive it by faith, and that would make up a, a number that no man could number. And he says, so if you're of faith, you're in that promise. You're in that. That makes sense to me. Now, go back to the narrative where it's preconceived that there has to be a rapture over here that we don't read about anywhere. Who is this group of people? Innumerable, innumerable, where are they coming from? It's a very hard explanation. And so then all of a sudden you go back to the analogy of, well, it just means it's a large people no one can number. I remember one time someone said to me, they said, well, that was because the word million wasn't invented yet. <laughs> you know, the largest number in the Bible is in the Old Testament, and it's billions. So that kind of puts that away. You're like, hmm. I'd never heard that one. I'm like, that's a pretty clever response. God didn't know how to say billions back then because that word didn't invent, wasn't invented. I guess America's the one inventing the new numbers. As we go into debt, we have to come up with a new, a new number to, to, to explain the debt that we're in. That's foolish. How about this? When God says it and is describing it in detail, the details are correct. And it makes sense. It just the problem is it messes up their narrative, and so therefore it has to be allegorical because it can't be, my narrative has to be right. Well, let's how about let God be true and every man a liar. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 7. Let's close out the chapter. We see the interruption between the seals. When you get to chapter 8, the first thing you're going to read about is that seventh seal that got halted in verse number 1 of chapter 7. He's now going to give it the go-ahead. Go ahead and open it because two things happen. There were 144,000 sent to the earth with the seal of God in their foreheads, and a multitude no man could number shows up in heaven. They're not under the wrath of God. Now the wrath of God can be poured out. So verse 13 there began to ask the question. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Now, 
I always like the, the way Scripture is worded. If you're a know-it-all, Scripture cannot help you. You ever talk to someone, and you could have 15 Bible verses, and they still won't believe you? Well, that's how you interpret it. Like, I just read the verse. I only need one Bible verse, and I believe it. Amen. The Bible is God's Word. But there's some people where no matter what you say, they just can't, they won't, they know it all. So you'll often find where scriptures, where the question is asked, understand what thou readest? Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? No, how can I except some man? Oh yeah, I read my Bible every day, right? When you're out soul winning, how many people, they read their Bible, they're not saved, they don't know they're going to heaven, and you want to show them the Bible, how they can know. Oh, I read my Bible, I could teach you some things. But you just said you don't know you're going to heaven. Can I show you what the Bible says, how you can know? Oh, honey, I could teach you. Yeah, you could teach me what you don't know. They, they, they can't be, you understand, they can't be taught. And so you oftentimes find when God's about to help someone, he'll say things like this. Wilt thou be made whole? Well, of course. Wouldn't that be the natural answer? But no, Lord, I'm fine. Okay. You're fine. They're not fine. And so the angel looks to John, he's like, who are these? Now, if John would have said, oh, man, I know who they are, we would have never heard the actual explanation of who they are. But John says, I don't know, you tell me. And that's how you should approach Scripture. When is the rapture? I don't know, you tell me. What is, what's, what's the Bible say? I don't know, you tell me. And let the Word of God speak for itself because it will reveal itself. God wants you to know truth. He's not trying to hide it from you. But why can't you see it? Because many people don't want to see it. They already have a narrative. And if you already have a narrative, God's given you zero more information. But if you'll let God explain, hey, what is, when is this? I don't know, but I'd sure love to know. That's when God begins to open the pages. And so he says, verse 14, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. Man, I don't know who they are. And he said to me, these are they which came, notice where these people came from, out of great tribulation, which fits the narrative that immediately after the tribulation, that's when the sky is opened, Jesus steps out, the angels are getting ready to pour wrath, wait, don't do it, and a multitude shows up. Where'd they come from? Great tribulation, okay? So they came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What a powerful conclusion to a chapter filled with information, and it's key to understanding the timeline because where this chapter fits in between 6 and 7. I'm glad it wasn't after 7 but before the trumpets because then you can say it's an intermission. It's immediately between two numbers, that 6 and 7, and the one is halted while this is happening before 7 can take place. Now, just for fun, I'm going to close out with Revelation chapter 20. And I want to show you that this group of people that shows up in heaven, this rapture that we're reading about, is the first rapture. Because I've had this happen. Well, okay, preacher, you're right. There's a rapture in chapter 7, but all the church is raptured here, and the dead in Christ, and of course a multitude don't make a number, but that doesn't get mentioned anywhere in the Bible, because we know it's secret. 
But then over here is a second rapture to get those who get saved during the tribulation. But, you know, halfway through the seven years, God's going to have a rapture and he's going to rapture them. And they get to be included with us, you know, rapture one, rapture two. And some even say there's a third rapture at the end of the seven years. And that's the third rapture. Well, the Bible's going to tell you there's only one rapture. That's what the Bible's going to tell you. So that narrative gets shot down by a Bible verse. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them which were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which have not worshipped who? So these are during the time of the seals. Neither his image, neither received the mark on their foreheads. These are people who died. They did not take the mark of the beast. That can't be those that are already in the grave. Well, yep, they didn't take the mark. There was no mark to take. These are ones that have been killed and, 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 and gone through hard times. Notice what it says. And they lived and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. So these are people that die and they did not take the mark of the beast. They did not worship the beast. And yet they're going to come back and live with Christ for a thousand years. Notice how it describes it. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. So there's one rapture that we read about. He says those that died, they didn't receive the mark. They're raptured up. And then the rest of the dead, those that will die from, there, from that point on, they're not going to have another rapture until after the thousand years. And that's when the dead brings forth so small and great and they stand before God. We read about that rapture. So he makes it very clear. There's a rapture, a resurrection, and then there's a thousand years and then there's another resurrection. There will not be any more and there were not before because watch what it says. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the what resurrection? First resurrection. The first, in your Bible, the first resurrection includes those who didn't take the mark of the beast. How can that be over here if the mark of the beast is over here? The first resurrection, the first. Well, maybe there's a first first. Isn't it funny when, when all doesn't mean all anymore? Every doesn't mean every anymore. First doesn't mean first anymore. Let the Bible be true. Let it speak and just say, hey, you know what? If the first resurrection includes those that didn't take the mark of the beast, it must be after the tribulation that we see a rapture take place. Amen. That's the only explanation. And you know what you'll find? It all begins to make sense. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.